Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, I'm excited to have Carl Haller with us, a partner, Consumer Center of Competency at IBM Consulting. He leads IBM's Consumer Industry Center of Excellence, where he works with retailers and goods companies worldwide to digitally transform their business and operationalize the use of advanced capabilities across the enterprise. Carl has 25 years of experience in retail and consumer goods and has served in executive positions in strategy, business development, consumer engagement, and marketing at Brooks Brothers, Tommy Hilfiger, The Limited, and Donner Advertising. Carl began his career in strategy consulting practice at PwC, and today we're happy to be diving in further with him of what he's doing at IBM and how he sees the future of the consumer. So Carl, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thanks for having me today. It's great to, uh, great to be here. Yeah. Love to talk to you. Yes, absolutely. So I gave a really high level, you know, bio to the audience of you, but why don't we dig in a little bit deeper to the heart of what you're doing at IBM? Sure. So um, uh, like, like most consultants, uh, I've got many jobs. Um, you know, my primary job really is working with clients um, on all aspects of their business. Um, I work more, uh, get, given my background, you know, I work, tend to work more with retailers and I work uh, more in the fashion space um, than others. Um, but most of the work involves something related to the intersection between the customer and the brand. Um, and that can that can be in a digital realm, that can be in a physical realm, or increasingly we find, and we'll probably talk about this a lot, this is in the realm that spans both digital and physical. Um, and then sometimes it you know goes upstream into product or marketing or merchandising or things like that. Absolutely. I mean, we we've been having these digital conversations for years, and now they're all coming to fruition. But we're still at early stages. Um, and through all that, the word omni-channel isn't new. Um, in fact, there, there was a point, um, even pre-pandemic, people would cringe when you said the word omni-channel. So what does omni-channel uh, really mean? What does it really mean for retail? You know, I think it, it, you're right. It is, mm. It's probably one of the most overused terms for the past decade. Um, I, I look at it in a relatively simple way. I think it's about being everywhere your target customers want you mm -hmm. to be or need you to be. And it and it's what are those intersections or those touch points that you need um, to have your customers meet up with your brand? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think about it in terms of um, a term I've used a lot, which is called the everywhere store. You know, and it's it, it's not having stores everywhere, but it's about being somewhat omnipresent, um, mm -hmm. you know, which, which could be quite complex. This, you know, for one brand, this might be flagship stores or mall stores or, you know, freestanding stores, pop-up shops, um, maybe shop-in shops, outlets, kiosks, websites, mobile apps, live streaming. Um, got, you could have so, you know, social commerce, text commerce in-game commerce and 
you know, now, uh, um, you know, we're, we started to hear a lot this last year about virtual goods being sold mm -hmm. in virtual stores in virtual worlds, which all gets rolled up into this. Which I have a lot of opinions out and could be its own episode, but. Yeah, which could be, which could be. Uh, I do note it's usually always paid for in real money, however <laughs> virtual it is. Exactly. You know. <laughs> you know your your robux aren't going so far to buy you know to buy the 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 gucci shirt or the gucci outfit that you want to put on your virtual avatar you know they they still want dollars for that yes exactly yeah so we could have a whole conversation about the metaverse yeah. and the future of it for sure i'm very like conflicted because it's real money but not real tangible goods um but you know you you talked about yeah being omnipresent and that is definitely a way that i i think about it too and i guess i guess how do you how do you then how does a brand or retailer do the homework right around um how to figure out how to show up and when because the thing is, it can't be these individualized disparate experiences. The the, the customer just sees a brand or a retailer that they're yeah, engaging correct. with. So what's the, I mean, that could probably be like its own episode, but like, what's the homework? How are we, how are brands and retailers figuring out how to um, successfully engage throughout a customer journey, regardless of the touch point? I think some of it is just experimentation, um, trying to figure out what, is relevant and will resonate with your target consumers and and again it might be different depending on a different brand you know a a very high-end fashion brand might need to be present in you know a certain suite of categories where uh you know a home improvement brand might need to be present you know in a mm -hmm. bunch of other touch points um and and it's going to differ a lot by geography as well because you know you're trying to go after you know we're, we're all trying to go after consumers. And um, I think the more we would spend, you know, living for a day in your consumer's shoes or in your consumer's world and knowing what is important to them starts to give a lot of direction. That way also you're not just chasing whatever is, you know, the next shiny object or the next, you know, thing that you see quote unquote, everyone going after. Um, and, and I think that that's really important. Um, I think another aspect of it is having the right technology stack mm -hmm. under the hood so that you can almost plug in whatever touch point on top you need to be in. Um, and, and, I, and I would say we're, you know, we at IBM, we work with companies on both of those, both of those areas. We'll work with them on the front, on the touch point itself. And, and understanding their customers and how to go after that. But then, you know, a lot of the core of our work is helping to build that right foundational technology so that it doesn't matter if you need to be in, you know, whatever, a virtual world over here and you need to have augmented reality over here and you need to have live streaming over here. Mm -hmm. At some point, customer data or a shopping journey can, can go seamlessly across all of those. Absolutely. And we're definitely going to dig in more to the technology, but let's go back to journey, right? Um, there's been so much change over the last two years because of the way we, we had to live. And now we're coming back and the way we're coming back is even different. What have been some of the biggest trends or, or changes that you've seen um, that maybe were surprises, but also opportunities? Yeah. So um, we, we just launched in January a, uh, a biannual study that we do with the National Retail Federation 
Uh, it was called Consumer 2022, Consumers Want It All. And one of the things that we found that they want is retailers to deliver on what we called hybrid shopping experiences. Mm-hmm. And we didn't, you know, we're not coining the word hybrid shopping. That's been around for a while as well. But but we were one of the first, I think, to go out and measure it, you know, across 20,000 consumers in 28 countries around the world at the product category level to understand really how consumers are learning about products, how consumers are shopping and how consumers are buying. And one of the things that um, I think we found was notable is that over one in four consumers globally now say they primarily buy in a hybrid manner. And mm-hmm. you know, we didn't say, hey, do you buy in a hybrid manner or not? <laughs> we said, you know, do you go to the store and put goods in your basket and then take them home? You know, do you order online and get it shipped mm-hmm. to you? Do you use curbside? Do you use Bopis? Do you go to the store and get it delivered? You know, so we asked about, I don't know, seven or eight different ways people shop. And then we combined it together. And the, those things that involve both digital and physical, we lumped in together as a, as a means of hybrid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's it's been happening in home goods for a while, in apparel for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing it now more and more in grocery. And mm-hmm. in fact, um, you know, 27, I think 27% primarily buy in a hybrid manner across all categories, but grocery is 20%. Yeah. And, and two years ago, if you wanted to buy groceries, you know, with curbside or, you know, a click and collect model, you really couldn't do it outside of a few test markets. And, and that's a huge amount of consumer behavior change in the mm-hmm. last two years. Um, and, and one of the things that, you know, as a sub of that, that we found was very notable is that Gen Z are the most likely to say they primarily buy in a hybrid manner. Um, and, you know, I think we've thought for a while about millennials or Gen Y as that, that digital generation and they're, you know, the digital natives and I think we would say the Gen Z is probably the first hybrid native generation. Um, and so I think this is this is something that is going to start sticking as we go forward because now it's just becoming commonplace. It's normal to you know order online and and um, you know be able to to go to the store if you want to pick that up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, frankly, it's normal. You know, in in, in New York where I live, it, it's normal now to be able to order online and have stuff arrive at your door in 15 minutes. You know, that's I'm not sure if all those are going to last either, but but these new things, they come in and and at some point the expectation sticks and someone figures out the way to make the business model work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because there was a big investment up front (laughs) around all those logistics. I think the other thing is interesting is like you have in your report also a breakdown of the splintered shopping journey, how they learn, how they shop, how they buy. Um, any thoughts there on how that's kind of, because I think that's been a shift too and an area for brands and retailers to really make sure that they're understanding. So they're understanding while it's a cohesive brand experience, knowing what people are going to each channel for, discovery, further information, click, you know, uh, transact. What, what, are, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think that is, it's a really good point. So I think essentially people learn everywhere. Um, they learn, uh, they learn through a variety of digital methods. 
they learn in store, they learn on social, they learn from friends and family, they learn from, you know, consumer reviews as well as trusted third party reviews. Um, mm -hmm. So that they're, they're, they're always learning. And, and I think that's important to recognize that you really do as a retailer or a brand, you really have to be everywhere mm -hmm. when someone is beginning that journey. Um, they shop, we, you know, we kind of divided shopping, you know, there was, there was in-store, there was mobile, and there were websites. Those were really the big three. Yes, we have people still using phone. Yes, we have people shopping on voice device, shopping on social media. We have some people shopping in chat. Frankly, some people still shopping in interactive TV. You know, I know mm -hmm. probably when, sure. when you scroll through your, your channels, you sometimes come across HSN or QVC and, mm -hmm. you know, other channels and you're like, yeah. oh yeah, that's I right. Mean, Those still exist. Yeah. And then I guess a, like a similar version that I was on Amazon the other day and it was like live stream shop your favorite influencers. Yeah. And I think that's all going to blend really, mm -hmm. you know, why there's a, you know, live streaming kind of sits over here and QVC sits over here, but it's really doing much the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and I know we were, um, one, one of my colleagues, we were working with, um, you know, a leading uh, global department store and that does a lot of international business. And we were talking to them and we're like, well, you know, you could just run that store 24 hours a day. You know, mm -hmm. maybe you close to the street traffic, but you could bring in, you know, foreign language crew, change your lighting, and you could be live streaming to Asia every night, you know, or to the Middle East or you know, to, to somewhere that's in a different time zone than you, um, you could be essentially treating the store as a studio in much the same way that you know, QVC runs its studios. Um, and, and opening up that idea that, yeah, I'm bringing the store to you. I'm bringing that, that flagship experience to you wherever you are in the world. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's a really important thing. Um, and it's a way for retailers to get more out of the assets that they have in the store and frankly, leverage more of the assets they've invested in among associates as well. Because um, I, I think we see that right now, retailers aren't always getting the returns they need from the stores and probably not getting the returns they need from the associates. Um, that That was one one of the one of the points that jumped out in in our study as well is when we asked consumers why they go to a store, um, relatively few, only about ten percent, said they go to stores to you know to see the associate or to to talk to the associate or to engage mm -hmm. with an associate. Um, whereas you know fifty percent are saying I go there to pick my own products or I go to get products right away or to touch and feel, um, you know, and it's it's a big difference. And when you think about the cost structure of a retailer, you know, that's a that's an underutilized asset that you have in the associate base. No, absolutely. I do think there's a lot of low hanging fruit there. And thankfully, there's a lot more tools. Um, and I think a shift in mindset over the past two years, too, of the value of the in-store associate. And I mean, they're the most important touch point in the store. And so how are we equipping them with knowledge and information and insights? And I, you know, especially with consumers coming in every year, more and more educated than the year before um, when they walk through the door. So I think that's a good segue into um, some of the things that, you know, how are, how, are the, how are tools and what are the tools that are helping change the customer experience in store operations? And then also we can dive into, into supply chain. So maybe the first one is, you know, how are, 
leading retailers at reinventing customer experience and engagement? So we're, we see it along kind of a, a bit of a continuum. Uh, and we actually did some work internally last year, um, went out to our client teams around the world and, and asked them, you know, what, what are your clients doing in this area? So we asked them in a lot of areas, you know, customer experience, supply chain, back office, you know, how they're using AI, a lot, a lot of different things. And we kind of said, all right, what have you, what are your clients um, what, what have they already started to do or what have they done? What kind of gets the checkbox? Um, and then we said, well, what are they working on now? Like what's on the active agenda? And then what do you see them thinking about next? And so we did a, you know, built a relatively, um, you know, basic maturity model or a maturity framework um, in each of the major areas that a retailer might be focused on. And, and what we learned are, you know, in that done box, you know, people were, they had already made it easier to shop across channels. So they'll have a persistent shopping cart. You know, where they were going now is to kind of, you know, streamline that experience and not just have it be a persistent shopping cart, but kind of have all of the knowledge and all the context of that shopping journey persist with you so that if you're shopping online and then you go into a store, um, you know, someone might be able to see, oh, I see the other things you were shopping for. I don't just see the item in your cart, but maybe I understand a little bit more about what that journey is, um, where we see that headed next. And so that was kind of on the now agenda where we see that headed next is, you know, you're going to take that knowledge and, you know, start to leverage that to curate um, you know, curate personalized experiences, delivering those in real time based on past knowledge and delivering those both digitally and physically. And physically that, you know, might be through a digital display in a store or that might be with a sales associate. So you start arming that sales associate, as you were saying, with the knowledge so that, you know, it's almost like when when, uh, you know, when when in the Matrix, they first had to fly the helicopter and they're like, do you know uh -huh. how to fly this helicopter? And like, mm. well, not yet. And then they, you know, wiggle your eyes and 30 seconds later, you knew how to fly the helicopter. You know, and that that's the type of information that we think sales associates need um, is to be able to quickly get up to speed on a customer who might not be their customer so that they can serve them, not just personally, the word I like to use is contextually. So yeah. they understand, you know, who that person is and, and what, not just what the journey is, but what they're really trying to accomplish. Um, we used to, this is something we used to talk about when I was um, back at Brooks Brothers. And, mm -hmm. you know, we would talk about the person coming in who needs a suit for a wedding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you'd go to, and not the groom, but like just someone who's going to a wedding needs a new suit for a wedding. Like, okay, we'd go to great lengths to get that person the right suit. But sometimes, you know, we would want to go over and above that. And what we would try to teach too is, well, don't just focus on the wedding, focus on the rehearsal dinner, focus on the breakfast the day after. Think about, is it is it a destination? Where Where is it happening? What time of year? And kind of build it all around, um, build around the entire context of what that customer is trying to accomplish rather than just delivering, you know, in an excellent way, the one thing that they've told you they want. We're seeing more capabilities 
um, being focused on to deliver that, I would say, um, at any point in the organization. Um, you know, it starts with it starts with kind of having a single view of the customer. That's something I would say is in most retailers done box. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but now they're starting to incorporate more external data into that. Maybe it's pulling things that the customer's given them permission to um, mm-hmm. socially. Uh, maybe it's other unstructured data. So you know, all of those those recorded conversations that we have you know, can actually be turned into data now uh, by using, um, you know, text-to-speech or speech-to-text and then putting analytics around that, you know, and then, you know, maybe delivering an action based on that. You know, that's probably in the next bucket. And so we see progressions like that, you know, around self-service, around full service, around fulfillment, you know, where the last two years has been about getting something up and running, you know, and now, now it's about scaling that, and then mm-hmm. we would see next is really taking advantage of that to know what to do next in any situation. No, absolutely. I mean, what you're talking about too is, is the, where personalization is going as well. Cause we've been talking about personalization for a long time and they were with broad strokes up until now, right? And you, you created uh, customer personas and people were bucketed in that and that was personalization. <laughs> now right. it, it's going to the next level of that, right? And who do you think in the industry is kind of leading in that aspect? Like who's, who any case, you know, or any case studies you could share of those that have really leaned into this successfully and, and maybe will help push the industry forward in this direction? Um, I would say that to be honest, a lot of the case studies are in, in, personalization are, you know, few, few and far between. The one that I go to a lot, which is outside of the industry, is um, how Disney manages the parks experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something they've been, to, to be honest, they've been working on it for two decades. Um, and they, they think about, you know, one, they have a, they have a different philosophy than most. One, they don't have someone that owns the customer. What they've done is an extensive view of, of a journey or a you know kind of a customer engagement life cycle. And they try to make sure that they have ownership for each moment and very mm-hmm. clearly defined ownership for each moment. And you know, that started with you know just making sure the park experience you know, was delivered effectively. You know, and then it moved to the um, reservation experience, and then they started to connect between the reservation and the park experience. And you know, now if you go, you can go, and you know, once you from the moment you check your bags at the airport, um, frankly, to the time you get back uh, back to the airport in Orlando, um, you know, Disney is managing almost the entirety of that now. Um, you know, you're greeted when you get off the plane. You're on a Disney bus. Your luggage goes right to your, you know, your luggage is picked up by a Disney employee and goes right to your hotel. You know, they, they've managed, um, they've managed in a much more holistic manner, the experience and tried to create a branded experience for you, um, you know, through, throughout whatever that park visit is. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great, um, that's a great call out. 
I'm just going to say this. I'm looking forward to how they better integrate that into their in-store experiences. <laughs> Happy to talk to them about a few ideas there. But <laughs> I, I agree. I, I I agree. And I think that's that's a challenge a lot of retailers have is, is thinking about that in-store experience in the same way that Disney thinks about it from a park experience or even um, you know, or even the more hospitality focused restaurants think about it. Um, sure. And, you know, there is a difference in that the, there still is a transaction that often takes place in the retail store. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're at Disney, the bulk of the transaction has already taken place. You know, when you go check in at a high end hotel, that transaction has already taken place. Um, but I think there, there is a, you know, there is a balance of um, how focused you are on kind of traditional retail transactional metrics and then how focused you are on, you know, more customer or service oriented metrics among your frontline associates. Um, and, and I think we, you know, we tip, we tip in a either it, the, the retail industry in general, I think, has tipped either toward an operational and cost savings bent or excuse me, a very heavy transactional bent as the way of, of trying to drive store performance. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say the same in digital, it's not unique to stores, um, that I think we need more of a, uh, more, more balance in how we look at those metrics. I agree. I think what's exciting is the more and more we have the tools that can track attribution and can track customer lifetime value, right? And illuminate that halo effect the more there's opportunity, right? Of saying, all this is a network effect that's happening, you know? Um, I was recently on a call with somebody uh, that was talking about their stores as individual assets. And I said, what, what's the network effect of all of these, right? Uh, if they're serving different purposes and one is about uh, discovery and experiential and one is a little bit more transactional and they're in the same city, how are, what are they doing for each other, right? How do you, how do you think more holistically? So maybe that's a good segue too to, conversation I want to have with you about um, the role of technology in building capabilities and what are the next generation technologies that you're excited about right now. Um, and I think the way you said it, some of them are going to be what spreadsheets and email and PowerPoint is, is for us today. Yeah, I, that's um, uh, that's something I, I do believe. And it's not just the fact that I work at IBM. I would say the fact that I've been at IBM for five years has really opened my eyes to where we're headed with technology and the industry in general has been in a very technology centric mindset for a couple decades um you know and whether that's you know back office erp technology or more advanced planning technology um or 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 uh, all the digital front of house technology you know mm -hmm. that that's that's all been a big explosion in in the last decade or two um I think where we're going to start to move forward is better technology for employees, um, uh, whether those are uh, field or store employees or whether they're corporate employees. You know, the fact that it that we have to go through training to learn how to use apps um, seems a bit outdated in this day and age when we all download apps and figure out how to use them. And and I don't know why most of the things we use in the office can't be as simple as the things that we use in our everyday lives. Um, you know, I, I, get, I get, we understand workflows and we understand the need to, to proceed in a certain manner, 
but most of the tools are not as intuitive as they should be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, some of the next gen technologies that we look at, frankly, are things, most of them are things that exist today, but generally exist in a relatively narrow basis today. So AI is one um, that we see covering not, it's not an individual technology, it's a capability that makes almost all other technologies work better. Um, we still see a lot of growth in blockchain. Um, you know, we're, I don't remember exactly where Gartner places blockchain on the hype curve, um, but I think we're still in the very early stages yeah. of blockchain as a way of having, you know, a, a permanent intercompany ledger you know, or an mm -hmm. industry-wide mm -hmm. ledger that um, allows for much better traceability and trackability and transparency um, of transactions. And, and you can still do it in a way that, you know, no one is seeing data that they're not supposed to do. Um, and, and I think, and I'd keep blockchain very separate from digital currency, but I think we see a lot of blockchain business uh, uh, um, uh, growth. Um, I would say the whole field of extended reality is something that we're still pretty early on. Um, there are some good use cases out there, whether it's with furniture um, and home goods or sometimes whether uh, with apparel and seeing how things might look on you. Um, we have not yet taken advantage of uh, 5G and Edge, uh, what's being rolled out for consumers. I think it's going to make a big difference in the amount of technology that you see in a store um, because you can now put rather than, you know, say Wi-Fi covering a store, you might now have um, 5G or edge computing mm -hmm. out in a store that enables you to do much more with um, so every, you know, simple things like uh, digital fact tags or electronic pricing or um, uh, price displays or more immersive experiences that might feed, you know, that might require AR and VR. And frankly, sometimes the Wi-Fi just isn't working, um, you know, or the, mm -hmm. you know, it's not it's For not sure. necessarily powerful enough um, to, to push something through. And if we go back to the one of the things we were just talking about, which is this kind of delivering a real-time curated experience or a real-time next best action. Sometimes that to deliver that, the compute is actually on that is actually going to have to happen at the store because even just going, maybe it takes a second to go back to um, you know, back to wherever the, the cloud server is and do that AI compute and then deliver that back. A second doesn't seem like a lot, but a second's a lot when you're standing there in front of someone waiting for something. Um, and so, you know, we we have people who talk about like making sure things deliver back in store in sub 200 millisecond, you know, less mm -hmm. than less than uh, a fifth of a second, so that you don't the humans don't feel the lag in response time. Um, it doesn't, you know, it's not very long. But all of a sudden, once it seems long, once it seems slow, you start getting disappointed. For sure. Um, and then, you know, I think we're still scratching the surface on IoT, all sorts of connected devices, whether those mm -hmm. are stores and fixtures and products, um, uh, shopping carts, bags, people, you know, all, all of those things are going to start to get a lot more connected. And then, um, 
you know, ultimately being able to develop and deliver those all on hybrid cloud so that you can actually develop and deliver and have release schedules that happen multiple times daily rather than, you know, a quarterly quarterly release of something. And, and we think that's the the speed of development is what's is one of the things that's going to uh, going to change a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if you think about the in the consumer's mind, one of the we we've done consumer surveys too, and one of the uh, highest values they see out of technology is efficiency. And so, if you don't, if it right, if so, if it's not happening, um, you know, moment to moment, right, and the, there's those lags, then you lose what consumers see as one of the highest benefits of technology, which is efficiency. And the way yeah. you talk um, kind of leads into the last question I want to ask you, but also what you're talking about, and, and I've had conversations with this with, with different VCs as well, is like, what, what's going to be like the backbone and operating system of a store? You know, like there, there are these tech stacks and layers that, that exist online, but it's almost like, what is that going to look like for the future of the store when we think about all the things that you just spoke about, right? Um, I can't tell you how we've had anything from pop-up to permanent where we've had teams, they have to climb on the, you know, hire people, climb on the roof, put on an antenna. We have to do all sorts of things to make sure that we can make sure that AR and AI, all that's working. Um, but what, what is this, what is the backbone going to be? So maybe that, that leads into our last portion here is yeah. like, where do we see the future? What, what's, what's happening in the next five years, five to 10 years in retail? So I, I would say um, this store operating system is something that we see as well. And, you know, we've actually spent some time um, building a, you know, what I'll call a sandbox of a store operating platform. And we've got, um, uh, we've got a variety of partners um, people like tracks on the um, mm -hmm. on the shelf monitoring, people like Opteris on workflows, um, as well as you know hooks into larger commerce platforms, and you know people like such as SAP or people like GK with POS, mm -hmm. um, so that they're you know they're essentially we see it as three pieces. We see it as a event streaming engine. So that you're you're being able to ingest information, um, we see it as something we call uh, we called it a retail data exchange. But it's being able to um, have each of these systems talk to each other, and you know, based on a common ontology of language, mm -hmm. um, so that the the data elements you know what a data element is in this system, you know what a data element is in this system. And so they, you, you know, if it's the same or if it's different, and and how it might need to be adjusted, um, it would have some AI and analytics capabilities on it. And then another area that we see as important is um, uh, an experience orchestration engine, so that you can take this bundle of capabilities and deliver it to kind of any type of device. So that can be to a customer pane of glass, that can be to an associate pane of glass. Um, that could be to, you know, a virtual reality display in a store or augmented reality display in a store or a, um, a smart, you know, cooler to adjust temperature for something um, or electronic shelf labels. You know, and anything that you might have, you want to be able to deliver those out without having to rework the engine to accommodate a new interface. Um, and, and so that's actually the core of what we've built. Um, it's called it, right now. It's called IBM Hybrid Cloud for retail because that's really what we've been 
mm-hmm. that that's how we've built it on uh, on a lot of our our hybrid cloud and Red Hat capabilities. But we think that is going to be something that will definitely evolve and change over the next five years because there really is no operating platform for the store right now. Um, mm-hmm. It's the last place that we see where it's all independent, uh, best of breed SaaS solutions um, tied mm-hmm. together with the classic, you know, spaghetti on the wall chart <laughs> of, you know, integration. And it, and it makes it really hard and slow to make changes happen in store. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, it creates a lot of bottlenecks. You the, the 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 phrase everybody's been using for years is the future of retail is the is minority report. Is that is that the yeah. right way to describe it? Is that is that what we're going to call it? You know, I, know, I think one of your other things were tied to Star Trek. So what if you had to leave so the audience with it, something? It, what's the it's future? True. <laughs> so I I think one I I don't know exactly what the future is, and I don't actually believe anyone who says they know what the future is. We have uh, we have way too many unknown unknowns. Um, uh, that are happening in the world right now and what may happen in the world in the next five plus years. Um, I do, uh, it's funny you you bring that up because I do like to think about which version of the future are we really talking about here? And Uh and it's easy to use, you know, movies and TV to get that. And I do think Minority Report is the future that most retailers appear to be building. You know, the omnipresent store, it knows who you are when you walk in. Um, it delivers mm-hmm. you, you know, the products that you are browsing for, you know, it, I don't know if it'll be based on the retinal scan, but, you know, whatever that, whatever that capability is, um, you know, and it's kind of amazing. I think that movie was 2001. I mean, I know. Maybe 2002. And, and that is, so we're talking, we're work, we're still working on 20 years, 20 years back. Um, I think, you know, I think that is the path, but I think at some point, we're going to evolve beyond that path and that there will be a um, there will be a new disruptive capability that I, if I were betting, I would think it's going to be something in the visual, um, in the, I would bet more on augmented reality sooner than I would bet on virtual reality. I don't I think we're quite ready for the Ready Player One world or the Star Trek replicator or not, not sorry, not the replicator, the holodeck, you know, mm-hmm. where you're living in that virtual world. Yeah. I, I do see those. I do see that holodeck world as happening. That, that, that's a very feasible future use of stores um, where you kind of go like right now you go and you play laser tag. Why wouldn't you just go to a big space and you'd have that holodeck type space where you're in a virtual world, but a retailer or a brand is running it, you know, Mm -hmm. when it's not ready to be consumerized yet, when it's not going to be in everyone's home. So I I do see that happening. Maybe that's a 10 year out type of thing. Um, But I think, I think the next, the the next uh, thing that'll probably flip is something for us as we're walking around, that's almost like the heads up display that you're starting to see in high end cars now where you're starting to get bits of digital information coming in mm-hmm. um, on a streaming basis, but that you're opening up the aperture back to the real world. Um, I, I have, you know, I wish the aperture on this was bigger. 
um, because sometimes it's it, it really shrinks your world to see it through six inches or mm-hmm. you know even a even a mon a you know big thirty inch monitor. So you're still shrinking your world. You still have a view beyond that. Um, and so I think there there will be some level of capability. I don't know if it's the next you know version of Google Glasses or Snap Glasses or the rumored Apple. You know glasses. what I want? I want my phone to have like a heads up display, like my car yeah. does. Yeah, some it'll but but I think it'll be something that allows some of that digital information to intersect with you in the real world. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think I think that will cause this minority report path to diverge a little bit. And we'll start focusing on a slightly different narrative because um, mm-hmm. I do think I don't know that everyone really wants the minority report path. And if you go back and watch it, yeah, it also it also doesn't really scale. It works when there's one person in a store, but it doesn't work when there are 50 people in the store. Um, and so I think we have to we have to kind of flip what that narrative looks like. I agree. I agree. I mean, we can go on clearly. <laughs> um, and this has been a really fun conversation. I think we'll have to figure out when we have you back, maybe in six months, where is this going? Um, but a lot of exciting opportunities for retail, right? And I think that that's the silver lining in all of this. And um, a lot of the, you know, what we've had to navigate through the last two years, I think it's accelerated a lot of this technology. So um, it's great to dive in it with you, where, not only where we are today, but where we're going. Um, so thank you so much. And again, everybody, this was Carl Haller. He's a partner consumer at the Consumer Center of Competency at IBM, and he um, leads IBM's Consumer Industry Center of Excellence. It was so great to have you, to share, to hear your insights and your thoughts. And I know you didn't fully predict the future, but you teased it a little bit. So that was really fun to dive into. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm gonna find out how we have you on again. Great. Thanks so much, Melissa. It was great to be here. Thank you so much.